Welcome to Coaching Kids Curling, a podcast for youth curling coaches and program organizers. I'm Glenn Gabriel, a certified curling coach who lives in Pickering, Ontario, Canada. My mission is to give you the advice, resources, and inspiration you need to make your program better. The curling delivery is the most important skill in our sport. For the next two episodes, I have a conversation with John Benton, a longtime American competitive curler. In part one, we introduce his approach to the curling delivery called the release point method. John Benton has been curling since he was six years old. His career as a competitive curler includes multiple appearances at the U.S. Nationals and winning the U.S. men's title in 2009. He represented the U.S. at the 2010 Olympic Winter Games in Vancouver. John is also the founder of Cold Granite Curling, a company that provides coaching and training for curlers and teams. His approach to teaching the curling delivery is called the release point method. I invited John on the podcast to discuss his method and, specifically, how it can help coaches and instructors of young curlers, both beginner and experienced, quickly improve their delivery skill. Now, here is part one of my interview with John. John, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here, Glenn. Well, I think the the first time I, I heard you speak was at this webinar that uh, was presented by the, uh, or organized by the Curler Outreach Program. I believe it was last March, and it was called Redefining the Delivery. And in that webinar, you taught us uh, your particular approach to the curling delivery, which is called the release point method, RPM. And Correct. yeah, what really, what really impressed me and what struck me was well, a couple of things. One is the simplicity of, of the method and the, um, and the logic of it. So of course, we're going to talk about that. And that's the, the main goal of the podcast. But I, I want to go back and, and, and explore how you got to this point. It's not every day that someone just creates their own, you know, delivery uh, principles and method. Uh, right. There tends to be a story. So uh, I'll just leave it open-ended. What set you on the path to creating the RPM method? And, and yeah, what, what is some of the history, the stories of, of watching people being taught the delivery that, that led you down this path? Right. Well, you know, I guess first things first, I started curling when I was six and I'm 52 now. So uh, quite a ways back. Um, And, you know, we, we've all been taught in a, in a very similar way, I think, Um, you know, starting out in the hack with a couple of rocks or a couple of stabilizers or, or, you know, quickly graduating to a broom. And, and I was no different. Um, you know, I, I think growing up, I, w- I was more of a toe slider than a flat foot, but eventually graduated to a flat foot, started to compete and, and went through a, you know, number of, you know, junior championships and then men's championships uh, led me to um, the national championships here in the United States. And, and I was fortunate enough to be on the Olympic team in, in 2010 with John Schuster. And through that process, uh, I was introduced to a higher level of coaching. I'd, ha- I'd had a few coaches, but nothing at a, at a super high level. And uh, uh, I was fortunate to have uh, Roger Schmidt uh, as one of our team coaches. And, and Roger 
as uh, an expat Canadian. He lives in Switzerland and he's coached uh, a number of Olympic benches. Uh, I can't even remember the number, but um, he's, he's definitely got the credentials from a uh, world and Olympic level. And he's a bit of a different thinker. And, and he taught me a lot about, you know, really kind of questioning things and, and looking at things differently. Um, after the Olympics, uh, I was asked to participate as a national coach for USA Curling, and I was then introduced to uh, Lino Diorio. And, and for those who don't know, uh, Lino is credited with the Balance Plus shoe, um, and, and significantly the hole in the center of the slider. Um, uh, Lino is a, a mathematician and scientist by trade, and, and he understood right away when he started learning the game that uh, distributing the weight further out on on the foot made more sense. And it was between Roger and Lino and, and some of the things that we were doing that um, I started to really look at how we teach the curling delivery a lot differently and, and started to ask a lot of why questions. Why, why do we do it this way? <laughs> um, and I wasn't getting a whole lot of answers. Um, fast forward that tape, you know, five, six, seven years, you know, that's 2013 to maybe 2018, 2019. And I, I spent an awful lot of time as a coach uh, standing out uh, past the hog line with a broom or uh, more importantly, with a camera, uh, really taping line of delivery for hours and hours and hours and, and hundreds of, of athletes and, and curlers from all over the place. And between Lino's teachings and some of the questioning that Roger taught me uh, to look at, I started to think about looking at the delivery from the side, uh, uh, kind of a long distance side view of the delivery to, to really kind of discover what's happening with mechanics from, from that point of view. And uh, I made what I believe are some significant discoveries about um, some common things that good athletes do uh, to put themselves in the best position to shoot. That last sentence right there, putting them in the best position to shoot, uh, really is what ended up being today the release point method. Um, and so that, that sentence, um, the release point method is really based on the idea that the release point is the goal of the delivery. If we do all the things right leading up to that, uh, when we release the rock, um, we can have, we can have a great shot. Um, but a, a number of things can happen and do happen for novices and intermediates and, uh, you know, even top level athletes, uh, a number of things can happen to, to throw that off. Um, but, but there are very kind of, you know, simple principle-based uh, fixes that can be applied uh, to, to achieve more consistency. So, you know, that, that's kind of a, a roundabout way of, you know, saying where we're at today in, in 2021 with the RPM. Uh, in between all of that, I've been a coach and an athlete um, participating at a high level. And really everything that I've done with this is something that that I've tried myself or worked on myself uh, with my own delivery um, and had lots of success with, with uh, other top level athletes and club level curlers. So, um, you know, I'm not pulling this out of thin air. I, I really have kind of put in my, 
my time, you know, testing and, and trying these things uh, for their for their success. So that kind of gets us where we are today, Glenn. That's fantastic. I I think uh, I just want to reiterate something you just said, which is these principles are are I guess you'd call them universal. Even they're not just applicable to high level competitive curlers, but even your your first time on the ice curler. I, that that was another thing that 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 impressed me about them, and I'm going to go right into the first one that that I thought of, and which is uh, your methods literally called the release point method, and I want to focus on what's called the release point. Could you, could you go into a little more detail? What is the release point, and and why is it important to practice that? So uh, the release point is. The, the position uh, that all of your body parts are in, ideally uh, at the point that we let go of the stone. Uh, what I say when I, I run a camp or teach with this is that once the stone leaves our hand, we can't control it anymore. So the, the release point is really the last moment that you, that you have uh, in control of the stone. Uh, the hope is that you don't have to make a ton of corrections at the release point, uh, either for line or for speed, uh, or you know, really the, the worst possible thing if you're still out of balance uh, when you're at the release point. Um, those those can all be real problems. So it's really that that moment in time that we actually let go of the stone. Now, when when I visited the website. Uh, the cold granite curling website, which is, is yours. Uh, yep. the, one of the things I noticed right away was, uh, a video about practicing the release point off the ice and, and, and getting the reps doing it off the ice. I, I know that to some coaches that's, uh, you know, they want to maximize their time on the ice, but yeah. Why is it important to practice that off the ice? Well, here's the thing, and I need to back up just one step um, to answer that question. You know, my, my goal around this has a lot to do with uh, novices and intermediates. Um, because we've seen so much attention and popularity of the sport in the United States over the past decade, uh, with the Olympic exposure and, of course, John Schuster winning the gold medal in 2018, you know, there's a lot of people interested in the sport in this country for sure, but but all around the world who have never been exposed to it. And I, I looked at that and I thought, you know, if if we're not able to adequately teach these people in a way that has them being successful early, uh, I, my fear is that, you know, we're going to lose uh, a lot of those people because um, what a lot of people say when they first come and try curling is, wow, I didn't even expect it to be this hard. You, you people make it look so easy. You're so graceful. Um, and, and they find that it's very difficult. And, and um, the, the primary skill in our sport is throwing rock. Um, and, and I just feel like we can do a much better job bringing people along from novice and intermediates much, much faster. So to answer your question about practicing the release point off ice, um, that's the first thing that I do with people, uh, brand new people who come in for a learn to curl or a corporate event, uh, juniors, whoever it might be, because I want them to understand what the goal of the delivery is, right? That I want them to understand the position that we'd like them to try to be in, 
when they release the stone. Um, now, having said that, I know very well that not everybody can be in these positions for, for uh, the ideal um, delivery based on these principles. But now we've set them up with goals, um, which I think is one of the, the best parts about this is that we can get them in that position off ice. They can feel what the muscles feel like. They can feel what their body positions feel like. Then when they get on the ice and they struggle, um, to achieve that position because it takes balance. It takes a, a certain muscle structure that you build up over time. They understand the gap. And, and then we can start to work together on closing that gap between where they're at today and, and where we want them to be. And to me, that's what coaching is about, is you know, setting some goals and working together to, to close any of those gaps. The RPM method, there are what's called three planes. And I think this is, I guess, a good time as any to, to explain what those three planes are and how they relate uh, eventually to the release point. Could you go over those three planes briefly and, and maybe we'll one by one go uh, a little more deep dive into each one of them later? For sure. For sure. And uh, for those of you listening, if, if you want to you know, jump out while you're listening and pull up my website. Um, it's coldgranite.com. And you can kind of follow along with what we're talking about. Uh, I think visually uh, that that will help you. Um, so, to, so to answer that question, Glenn, uh, the three primary principles around the release point method are glide, uh, which is really speed, line, which uh, is, you know, line of delivery. And, and many of us would be familiar with that. Um, and then the last one is support, uh, which is really balance. Now, I use those terms uh, so that you remember them and they're, they're not uh, rehashing some old terms that, that you may have used. So you've got glide plane, line plane, and support plane. Uh, the glide plane is a plane that you can look at when you view the delivery from the side. So if you look at any of the really, really good curlers, either in your club, uh, or top level curlers, you'll be able to see this line. And if, and if you can imagine drawing a line from the leading edge of the player's shoulder all the way back to the, the tip of their trail toe. Now remember you're looking from the side. So this should be a straight line going from their, the lead edge of their shoulder to the tip of their trail toe. You, what you're gonna find is that the, the really good players, almost all of them have a nearly straight line with a mostly to a fully extended trail leg with very little of their trail leg on the ice. So very rarely will you see a knee on the ice, an ankle on the ice, or even the top of the foot. Most of the top players right now uh, are to the point where it's just their, their, the tip of their toe that's on the ice. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is to get consistent glide from shot to shot, ice to ice, no matter where they're playing, no matter what their physical condition is at the time. Um, it's, it's a way to achieve consistency with weight control, which is something that we all know uh, as novices and intermediates is one of the hardest things to achieve is, you know, being consistent with how, how hard we're throwing the rock. Um, well, it turns out that deceleration is a big part uh, of curling. 
if you think about it in terms of when we leave the hack, our body and, and the stone are always slowing down from that point forward. We can't go any faster once we leave the hack. So that means we're decelerating. If we have a knee or the top of our foot or an ankle on the ice, we're going to decelerate faster. And so repeating that deceleration gets harder and harder the, the more things you're adding into the equation. A knee on the ice is going to be very hard to replicate from shot to shot to shot, especially as you get more fatigued. So that's glide plane. Line plane, uh, now we're switching views. We're going back around to the front view uh, of uh, the player as if we were coaching and we're out beyond the hog line again with a broom. And now we're looking at a plane that goes right down the middle of the player's body. And honestly, this is where I get in a lot of trouble with my Canadian friends because uh, what we're going to talk about here has a lot to do with where we position the rock in our delivery and at setup. So what I would say, looking at this from the release point, is that uh, I, I ask my players where, when you're about to release the stone, if I'm looking at you from, from the front, where is the stone in relation to your body laterally? And almost always, nearly 100% of the time, people say, well, right in the middle. Some will say, well, it's under my dominant eye. Uh, but most people agree that at the release point, the stone is in the middle of your body when looking at it from the front. So what I ask then is, where was the stone when you were sitting in the hack? Was it in the middle of your body? And the answer is almost always no. And the, the question then is why? And you'll hear, as I said, you know, people in Canada will, will teach uh, off the armpit or definitely off the dominant eye. And my question is, well, if it's in the middle of your body when you release it, why would you put it anywhere else to start? And it's right. just an honest question. It's, it's not a, I'm not trying to be critical. It's, it's an honest why question. And it turns out that when you position the stone anywhere off center, we have a tendency, our, our subconscious understands that at the release point, it's going to be in the middle. So one of two things has to happen when we leave the hack. Either we have to move the stone back to the middle of our body as we're sliding, or we have to move our body in behind the stone as we push out. Well, 99% of players that I have watched on camera, and this is totally Lino DiOrio's uh, method, and need to give him credit for that, 99% of people shift their body in behind the stone either right before they kick out or as they're kicking out of the hack. There's a lateral movement of their body mass. Well, if, if that happens before they kick out, they're still going to be outside of the broom by a slight bit, um, but it's going to be a consistent one to two inches, let's say, as they slide. However, if their body is moving laterally as they kick out, so you have two vectors of momentum now, you're gonna get what I see in a lot of novices is the drift to the right. And, and that is so common and it really can be fixed with one simple thing and that's setting the stone up on the center of the delivering hack. 
which puts the stone very close, not perfectly on the center of your body, but very close to the center of your body. Now, there's some things that you need to do when you set up to allow that to happen, um, which comes a little bit later. But the principle here is that we don't want lateral movement of the stone or your body as you start moving out of the hack. They should all be on one line that we call the line plane. And that line plane should overlap the line of delivery. So I think that covers line plane enough for now. The last one is support plane. Uh, support plane is the most critical of the three planes because if you get support plane wrong, uh, the other two planes are, are going to suffer uh, mightily. So the support plane, again, if we switch around to a side view now, uh, we're viewing the delivery from the side. And what we're looking at is a line that goes from the ball of the slide foot up to the center of mass of the delivering player. It should be a straight line. And that support plane is, it's the primary balance point for the delivery, right? We, we need the ball of our slide foot underneath our center of mass to stay in balance. So, so the way to look at this is to think about as the person moves in the hack, does their slide foot move in unison with their body? Meaning does the slide foot stay underneath their chest as they're moving in the hack and as they kick out? Or do we see the slide foot move further back than the, the chest or the center of mass? For a lot of novices and intermediates, that's what I see. They, there's some sort of a belief that, that we need to move that slide foot further back to gain momentum in the delivery. And what happens is that slide foot being delayed means that it has to make up all that extra ground to get underneath our center of mass for our balance point. And that's where people get a lot of wobbles and a lot of crashes because they don't have their slide foot underneath their body. And this, this actually, when we talk about the origins of the triplane principles here in, in the RPM, um, there's a video out on YouTube that I found a long time ago that really got me going on this. Uh, I believe it's called The Slide. And it's really, I think it's a pre-event practice or a night practice at a world championships. And there's a number of top level players from you know, 10, 12 years ago uh, featured in you know, 10 second clips, five second clips, just sliding. Well, if you watch the slide foot of almost every one of those players, it stays underneath their body the entire time that they're moving. And, and that really set me off. And it, and it really helped me understand what balance is in the curling delivery and why it's so important to have that slide foot underneath you the entire time that you're moving. So that's, that's the setup for the three planes of the triplane. No, thank you, John. I, I know that <laughs> that was a lot, obviously, but yep. uh, uh, all important. And and the fact that you've divided it into three planes, you know, is a testament to the simplicity of the model. And I'll be honest, I'm thinking of a lot of things right now, but I'm, I'm thinking, of course, my podcast is called Coaching Kids Curling. So sure. a lot of the listeners are coaching youth programs, uh, grassroots programs, under 12s like I am. Uh, so I think about how we use these principles in our 
day-to-day coaching, our Sunday afternoon coaching in my case. So the first thing I always think about for myself is how do I get my kids to learn balance, the support plane stuff? Because you're right, that that's the foundation of everything else. If you don't have support, then it's really hard to focus on the other things, as important as they are, of course. So uh, I know when we were talking over the phone, we were talking about perhaps certain drills and things that we can do on the ice to to improve these specific planes. Can, can we start with the support plane and, and maybe talk about something we can do with the kids there? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that's kind of fallen, fallen out of this uh, process for me is that really working with these principles, because they are so simple, um, there's not a ton to do uh, in terms of, of drills. It's really understanding the principles and then doing a few simple things repetitively uh, to kind of build that muscle memory and build a better understanding of your own body and how it works within the principles. So in terms of support playing, uh, the, the drill that I use in my camps is what I call the rock drill, and it doesn't have anything to do with a curling stone. Um, it's, it's really rocking uh, when you're in the hack. So um, what I encourage people to do is uh, place themselves in the hack, and, and I have a, a setup methodology, um, but the, the core of this drill is really just getting them to rock back and forth without leaving the hack and really coaching them to keep the slide foot underneath them, right? And, and you would be surprised at how difficult this is for some people. Uh, they're very, very used to and very, very comfortable letting that slide foot wander behind them or way behind the hack. So one thing that I'll do with this drill is I'll take another stone and I'll push it, put it directly uh, behind the hack, maybe two to three inches, um, in, in the area where their slide foot would come back. So it's for, for a right-hander, it's slightly to the left of the delivering hack and two to three inches behind it. So that when they draw their foot back, it can't go any further than that stone. It's a nice little mental cue to them to say, okay, that's too far, that's too far, that's too far. So what I, what I have them do is I have them rock back and forth three or four times. After the fourth time, they can kick out into their delivery. And we just repeat that over and over again until they, they start to understand what that feels like. Most significantly with that drill and the support plane itself, people who are used to throwing their slide leg into the delivery or they have a significant amount of body drop that goes into the, the delivery will generally come back to me and say, well, how am I supposed to generate weight? How am I supposed to generate hit weight? There's a couple of things with that. First off, not enough people in this sport go to the gym. I will just say that right up front. <laughs> um, it, it is a, a fairly taxing muscular sport. Um, and if, if you're able to um, go to the gym and, and work on that drive leg, work on that extension, uh, that's going to help you a lot. Um, obviously, for kids, that's not necessarily what we want to be doing. We don't want them running off to the gym every other day. Um, <laughs> so, so again, to me, this is about goal setting. Um, and and really, I love the idea of teaching kids using principles because we understand that they're kids, 
right? Um, and they're not supposed to be able to do all the things that a grown adult can do. So we, again, we set them up with goals and we try to help them be successful with what they can do right now within the idea of the principles, right? So if, if I could say that another way, the principle with a support plane is balance, right? So we try to close the gap as much as we can. If they need to move their slide foot back to gain a little bit more momentum in their slide, that's fine. If they're having to sacrifice their balance to do that, that's not fine. So, so again, we work around the principle constantly, right? And, and the, con the principle really makes it easy to, to coach and to teach and to diagnose problems um, be, because it, it shows up for kids and it shows up for adults and, you know, ladies and men. And it, it really doesn't matter because, again, it, it's, it's principle-based. Uh, just a follow-up to the uh, support plane exercise that you've just recommended. A as a coach, am I looking in from the side and sort of giving the kid feedback that their foot is moving at the same uh, rate as their Ab center of mass? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So so two points there, Glenn, um, that, that I should mention. So First, you're, you're looking from the side and you're watching the slide foot to make sure it stays underneath the chest. Um, center of mass should be, you know, right around their solar plexus. Um, so, so you're watching to make sure that the foot stays in unison with their chest. When I say that, I talked a little bit about the slide foot drifting behind. One point that I forgot to make was that that's not the only way that there can be a problem with this. So let's say that their, their foot stays in place, but they can also have the habit of delaying the slide foot anyway. Even if the slide foot doesn't go back, they can allow their body to lean out so that the shoulders lean, lead the delivery. Right. So I look for that as well. Um, and I encourage everybody. I, I, I think we talked on the phone. I have a, a pretty neat view at my own curling club. Um, I walk right out of my office and there's glass right there. And if I turn and look out the glass, it's looking straight down the line of all six hacks. Um, so I, so I often will walk out, I'll take a look down that line and I'll be watching curlers from the side on all six sheets. And, and I can see this, uh, happening, you know, over and over and over again. And, and I'm able to go out and then, you know, help, uh, my club curlers. Uh, very simply, just, just by looking at support plane and even glide plane. If you haven't really taken time to, to go watch people deliver and watch from the side, directly from the side to see what's happening, you're missing a whole other world uh, of the curling delivery. Yeah, I think we're programmed to stand at the hog line with a broom. <laughs> yep, exactly. So that was part one of my interview with John. In part two, we continue talking about the different planes, the importance of using principles versus technique when teaching, and what junior curling is like at his home club in Minnesota. If you're a supporter of this podcast, I encourage you to follow our Twitter account, which is the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. One more time, the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. I'll also have that Twitter handle listed in today's show notes. This has been the Coaching Kids Curling Podcast. To reach me, Coach Glenn, 
please email coachingkidscurling at gmail.com. To follow the podcast for free, visit our website, coachingkidscurling.com. You can also find show notes and links to the resources mentioned in this episode and in previous episodes. The intro and outro music is Golden Sunrise by Josh Woodward. Thanks for listening. Good luck and good curling.